0: All right, welcome to episode five of Joel's podcast ho- show. Uh, I am your host, Jamarco Muffini, and today I have a good friend of mine, mentor, all around just awesome human, uh, professional big wave surfer, entrepreneur, and restaurant uh, owner, Mr. Yuri Soledad. How are you doing, Yuri?
1: Good. i um, stoked to be here. i um, glad to see you doing this and looking forward to have a nice conversation. Thanks. Bring this up just a little bit closer
0: to you. Yeah, you can... Yeah. Perfect. Um... Awesome. So, thanks for um, carving out some time for me. Um, there's a lot of different facets of your life that I'd like to get into, but maybe we could uh, start from the beginning. Where are you from, how you got into surfing, and how eventually you, you came to Maui?
1: Yes, I grew up in Brazil on a little town called Ileos, um south of Brazil. And um, I grew up around the beach, and um, soon enough, I started surfing. And then when I was probably around like 10 years old. There was a really good surfer from uh, that town. His name was Jojo. Mm-hmm. Um, he kind of made it the tour, and then he was kind of the mentor to me. So I started um, surfing, and soon enough, I started competing. And then right about 17 years old, I won a surf contest back in Brazil. That they gave a ticket to Hawaii. And then right after high school, I got the ticket. The ticket was going to expire within like a couple days no and I used that ticket and then came to Maui um, that was around the winter of 94, 95 and, um, and I fell in love with Maui I actually came to Maui first went to Oahu spent uh, about a month there and then came back to to Maui and uh, fell in love with the place I first I thought I was going to be here for, for about a month that mm-hmm. was kind of like the idea And then um, uh, I basically um, couldn't really get the full winter season because I came towards the end. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, why not stay for a full year and then get the full experience? Especially because I was going back to actually go to university to go to chemistry engineer. No way. Yes. Oh shit. Yeah. In Brazil, there is like a... Um, for you to be selected to go university, it's like a super challenging test that you got to do. You're competing against, you know, 5,000 guys um, wow. for like 10 spots. And because it was such a good student and I wanted to prove to my parents that I was good enough to be able to juggle the uh, surfing life with uh, studies. So I gave my 100% and I made it. And then so right after that, I like basically I started university, uh, stopped for a second. I was supposed to come to Hawaii for a month, but on my mind, my, my parents didn't know about that, but uh, on my mind, I was actually going to stay for a full year, mm-hmm. and then I was going back, but, um, you know, one thing led to another, and I ended up staying on Maui, and being here for uh, 26 years.
0: Wow, that's incredible. Um, how did you get into surfing? Wait, was it your brother who taught you?
1: Yes, my brother, um, I actually already had an uncle uh, that a basically uh the last time i saw him he left brazil when i was probably um like seven or eight Mm -hmm. and then he moved to hawaii his name is paulo he's a well-known figure on maui legend. legend. (laughs) yes and then uh, so i already had a surfer in the family and then my brother started surfing and uh and then i at that time i was just like body surfing i was super young at that time like eight nine years old and I was like, "Wow, that's kind of cool! Like, I want to do it. I want to be like my brother. I want to be like my uncle." And um, and then right when I was about uh, like ten years old, I I started surfing. Um, actually, I started surfing with like those alaya boards from Brazil. But you really? know, yeah. So it wasn't like really alaya. It was just like a piece of uh, plywood cut out, and then uh, and I was trying to like stand up, and you it's super difficult. And, you know, in Brazil, of course, uh, I came from humble beginnings and I didn't have enough money to own a surfboard. So basically I started with that. And then, um, and a little later, um, my parents were divorced at the time and my father actually gave me enough money to buy my first surfboard. And then, um, and then, so I, I had that and then I uh, that board broke in pieces in three pieces. You
0: also started learning uh, you're the only one the only non-cook who I know surfs with his leash on his front foot.
1: I actually did it for so many years because on my uh, on that little town, especially yeah. back in the day there was not that many surfers. so mm-hmm. there was only like three or four surfers, including my brother, including this um, guy Jojo, uh, Jojo de Olivenza and then they're all regular foot and then so i was the only goofy foot and (laughs) then they took me surfing my brother took me surfing and he's like oh you put your leash on (laughs) on the right foot and then uh and i was like okay that's how we do it and then i started surfing and then uh like basically almost a year uh into it uh i realized Another uh, goofy footer came to my town and I realized that I was like, Oh, wait a second, he puts the, <laughs> the leash on the back foot. Yeah. And then, uh, and I was like, Okay, let me try this. And that didn't work out at all, like, no I could way. not serve for anything,
0: dude. That's crazy. How does the leash not get in like in your toes?
1: I mean, um, it did, but in the same time, I had always this like crazy ideas, I always, you know. Think uh, positive. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, if I'm gonna do this, what is the positive out of it? And I thought, okay, the waves are super small where I'm where I come from. Um, there's always like a drag with the leash. So if I put it on the front foot, it will be less of a drag <laughs> and then I'm going to be faster than everybody else. Wow. That's so, a
0: solid theory.
1: So I was like, okay, this is my theory. I'm going to stick with it yeah. all the way until, um, I broke my leg, uh, about five years ago. Um, and then I broke that leg that, um, uh, the leash was on. Oh, and then, so I actually had to change because uh, I broke my leg in two pieces. It completely came apart. Oh, uh, So, and then, so I had to put it on, on the regular foot uh, or on the uh, left foot. Mm-hmm. And then now uh be-
0: if you want to support the podcast or if you like the episode please share on any of your social media platforms you can tag the podcast at joel's podcast or you can do so by going on joelspodcast.com and clicking the support the podcast button on the top right thank you came like the- <laughs> right away after like 25 years <laughs> of surfing dude that's crazy that's so funny um yeah, so how did you get into, like, big wave surfing and stuff?
1: So when I, um, basically when I was in Brazil, I always uh, loved big waves. Of course, we don't have, you know, what we call big waves mm-hmm. uh, over here. But uh, I always like pushing myself. Um, and uh, And then so in Brazil, there was a group of guys. And funny enough, those guys actually moved over to Hawaii with me. And then that's who they call the mad dogs, me, Marcio, and Danilo. Nice. And then so back then, uh, as a as a Grom, we kind of pushed ourselves and we always were looking for those challenging conditions. And uh, we actually ended up doing very well on the contest when the waves were big. And uh, and then that kind of like pushed myself to have the desire to move to Hawaii and then surf the big waves here. Of course I had no idea back then what a big wave was until I, I moved over here. And uh, and then one thing led to another and you know it became a passion and up to this day it's still what I enjoy the most and that's when I feel alive and probably when I'm the most happy.
0: Yeah. How did you come about like to surf jaws or telling?
1: So, um, like I said, you know, I moved over here um, on the winter of um, 94, and, uh, 95. And then I, at that time, there was the strap crew uh, mm-hmm. with Laird, Dave, Rush Randall, Mike Watts, um, all those guys. And then it was just the very beginning stage of towing. And uh, and then I kept looking at those guys as if they were God, you know. Mm-hmm. And to me, they were, like, pushing the boundaries, like more than anyone at that time. Um, So I kind of, like, wanted the opportunity to actually uh, tow one day. But, you know, back in the day, I had no money. Like, to me, um, even owning a jet ski, was, like, owning an airplane now. (laughs) 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 So, um, and then luckily uh there was a guy that I was working with at that time um he was staying at Robbie Seeger's house okay and then he uh he was like okay I think I have access to Robbie Seeger's ski and if you want to go uh tow one of the days uh we could actually get the ski and go out and I'm like okay that sounds fun so we ended up taking the ski out for the first time and of course we didn't know how to drive and mm-hmm. and back in the day the, the skis had no power and it was like crazy but sure enough we fell in love with it i already had a passion for surfing big waves but i didn't know anything about toll mm-hmm. and then so um we took the uh the ski for the first time and then it was about right around 97 98 and um so i kind of thought wow this is kind of cool and to me uh, the towing now is been almost like a different sport. Like mm-hmm. I, I don't put it uh, like surfing, like big wave surfing and towing at the same level. Um, to me, it's two different things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought, oh, I want to be good at this. Um, and then right at the same time, I actually was, used to go to the cliff and watch those guys uh, on the very beginning of towing. And I was like, man, I want to do that. But uh, I don't think I will ever be able to afford... Uh, Uh, A jet ski. So the only way would be if I uh, would paddle. So since '98, we always had a dream of actually
0: paddling. Wow, Um, that's uh, really that's a lot earlier than most people think. Yes, started paddling. Yes,
1: yes. But uh, of course, we only had a dream. I didn't even have a board, or I didn't even had anybody Mm -hmm. uh, really. And then right around that time, that's when. Like, Marcio moved over. Danilo was already here, and then we kind of talked about it. And then uh, a few years went by, and this guy, Rodrigo uh, Monster, he's probably one of the most underrated big wave surfers in the planet.
0: I remember Monster when I was a Graham.
1: Yes, he he was a solid, solid man. Like He won several prizes as a, a big wave surfer, and then he instigated that on us. At that time, he actually took Danilo under his wings, and then he started taking Danilo to Mavericks and um, all the totals and all the big wave spots. And sure enough, he took me under his wing. Um, and then uh, the whole idea of paddling came about. And then uh, we did that first contest, the toe contest, I think was around 2000. Uh, when
0: The we... Billabong Odyssey? Yes.
1: And then, uh, and then uh, the goal was to actually surf. That day before the contest. Because it was the only time that we're actually going to have uh, people with watching. doing safety. It was oh. not even watching. Like, our goal was to actually surf the biggest waves possible. But at least have somebody that owned a jet ski to do safety. Because we didn't have money Dude, to do, crazy. <laughs> uh, to have our own safety. Yeah. Um, so, anyway. So, we actually ended up... Like, those guys even brought boards and the goal was to actually paddle that day. That didn't work out. And then, uh, and a few years later, around uh, 2004, um, we actually, it's a funny story. There was a guy, um, Roy Patterson. Uh, he was uh, a guy that moved over here to Maui. He actually had paddled uh, like like a couple times before with uh, Joan Robertson and, and some other guys. And we actually seen a little video. Uh, Somebody filmed with one of those like very bad cams of those guys trying. Uh, Was that
0: the who was that Matt? Was that Matt and the Hargraves?
1: No, it was uh, it was um, uh, Joan Robertson, Roy Patterson. um, There was a couple other guys, and they're just
0: trying to paddle. They
1: were trying to paddle. Uh, and then and then we seen a video of some other guys trying to actually uh, go windsurfing and trying to jump off the rocks. Uh, so we were like, OK, you know, guys already tried. And then we kind of heard uh, the guys uh, did surf when it was smaller. Mm-hmm. And then we saw guys like jumping off the rocks. So we're like, OK, you know, even though we don't have skis, we're never going to have safety. We can actually do it. So let's pick the right day and let's do it. And then, um, and then, like uh, a couple of years went by, and then, um, and then that day we actually went out uh, to uh, to Sprax stowing and I was with Monster, and then we came in and it was like late afternoon. Uh, this guy pulled up a Maliko, and then he was like, "Oh, um, what are you guys doing?" Uh, you know, and it was Roy, and then he's like. Man, who are you? And I'm like, oh, I'm Yuri. This is Rodrigo. He's like, why do you guys are uh, towing? Like, the wave's not even that big. No and, way. Then, and then we're like, oh, yeah, we just went out to, to Sprax. He's like, yeah, I heard of you. I heard you're a good surfer. Uh, you know, instead of wasting your time uh, going out to, to Sprax, uh, you should go and paddle Jaws. And then we're like, oh really? We've been thinking about it for um five years now. Yeah. And then he's like, yeah, let's do a session together. And I'm like, okay, this guy's for real. <laughs> uh even though he he didn't even uh like he wasn't a very uh like a like a big wave surfer. Mm-hmm. He he had the
0: desire, but he um never like proved himself before or something.
1: Exactly. So but Monster had. Mm-hmm. So anyways, we kinda like agreed that the next swell, no matter what, we we're going to paddle. And then sure enough, uh, there was a swell and it was only like 12, 15 feet. Um, and then we jumped off the rocks and had our first session. And then and then from that point on, we actually, even though there was some gnarly wipeouts, almost drowning, uh, it was like nuts. Uh, and then, but we at least we, we did it the first time. And then that's the thing. I think, uh, quite a few people had done it before mm-hmm. but they uh they didn't really enjoy themselves or at least they didn't try to uh, go back again and again and again and um and now of course there was several people that did it before us mm-hmm. um jerry's i heard that uh, he had a good session out there um matt um um you know eraldo were these was...
0: all like kind of smaller days though
1: it was all at smaller days, yeah. uh, and then like uh, I know Eraldo did it on a on a, uh, proper day. I think Chris Burish did it on a on a solid day too, mm-hmm. but they always had skis. Mm-hmm. Um, so and then for us, we didn't have skis. Mm-hmm. So I think that's when uh, the whole you know kind of progression. Plus, we went the first time, and then we thought, oh, you know. This is actually kind of cool, uh, you know. Like we came back and uh, to the rocks, and then we were like, "Man, we're we feel so alive!" and <laughs> you know, this is amazing. And then uh, and then we're like, "Okay, we gotta do this every single swell." And wow. then, but we can't tell anybody. Like, <laughs> and then we made a pact, and we're like, "Look, let's just keep it to ourselves." And um, you know, and then what year is this? Around two thousand and four.
0: Wow, that is. Early
1: yes, Early so on. Um, so, anyways, that was pretty much like the first successful session, and then uh, with Monster, Monster was living in Maui at that time, and we actually ended up doing several other sessions, and then uh, and then actually Danilo on um, the following uh, winter uh, came over, and then that was the winter that we um, actually got the, uh, Danilo and Marcio out there and then basically they ended up um, getting out there we surf on actually on a proper day and then we we're like focusing on the last and at uh, that day we had a couple photographers and then they ended up like documenting the whole thing mm-hmm. and then uh and then we we're like okay this is on you know let's let's do it um, there's so many days that is going to be out of the West and I think it can be clean enough and then we're not going to bother anybody They can still keep towing on the rights. And then mm-hmm. we focus on the last cause there, there was not that many guys, uh, that wants to go left at Jaws. Right. So basically, you know, one thing led to another and then we kept like doing it. And then, uh, there was some definitely memorable uh, sessions out there Mm -hmm. and unfortunately there was like so many sessions that it never really got documented uh you know and but yeah it was a different time back then and um, it was a really cool experience and i'm i'm so grateful to to the guys Uh, probably marcio was one of the guys that really pushed because once he got the taste of it he he was really, like, into it, and then yeah. he kept, like, pushing the envelope on bigger and bigger days. And, uh, and you know, nowadays, uh, Jaws is the proving grounds. If you want to be a, a big wave surfer, if you want to paddle into a big one, uh, that's the place to be.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, obviously, I, I can't be objective, given that Jaws is in their backyard and stuff when we grew up here. But to me, I, obviously, Nazare is, you know, it's huge it's a big wave mavericks is gnarly um and i've never surfed either one of them but to me jaws is just you know there's no better big wave in the world than jaws
1: yeah you're completely right um just just the conditions alone and having a a right and a left and holding as big as it can actually be yeah and what's uh, the
0: biggest uh you've surfed it out there i mean uh, so you probably hard... had some fucking huge days
1: yes they, there's definitely some some days that uh, comes to memory um the the year that um uh, uh, the new year uh the broxwell definitely comes to mind mm-hmm. actually last year we had another amazing session there was one in 2004 uh that it was pretty incredible there was the day that they were filming the um, the Point Break swell. Right, right, right. Um, that it was looked sketchy. too. Yeah, it was like it had so much energy. It was almost like the swell looked angry, <laughs> yeah. and then it was like doubling up. And uh, but, anyways, um, probably the biggest I seen actually at Jaws, I think, was the ninety eight swell. Um, and then, of course, I, I wasn't out there that uh, that time yet, but. Uh, I think from looking from the cliff, that was the biggest I've seen.
0: Who is that? Where is anyone towing?
1: Laird and Rush Randall and a couple other guys were out. Dave Kalama. uh, But they uh, probably back then, we didn't have enough power with the skis. Mm -hmm. They didn't have the flotation. So um, they were doing it. But, you know, I think it was probably too big uh at that time mm-hmm. and they ended up like surfing for a little bit and they laughed but we kept seeing like those sets coming in from so deep and it was so big it was it was incredible Fuck, and um and the uh Brock Swell was pretty incredible too i i thought that day um it was probably the two biggest days that i seen one from the water was mm-hmm. the Brock Swell, and then that day from a cliff in 98
0: Wow, do you think Jaws is uh, and and I know guys will try, but do you think as big as Jaws gets, do you think it's paddleable?
1: I mean, I think uh, once it becomes that size, uh, it just it creates such a huge playing field that it's hard to be in position. It's almost mm-hmm. like Nazare. If you see some of the the biggest waves paddle Nazare, they're having like full on a jet ski uh, assistance mm-hmm. where the guy helps you be in position they and move then move them
0: around like before yes the,
1: oh, yes they move them around before the sets or uh you know they actually see a set a little to the left so they grab the guy and then you hold it on the sled and they go and they put you in position and the guy take off and then you go turn around and paddle mm. uh but um jaws you know it's not as big as a playing field but you probably would have to have some sort of assistance mm-hmm. uh, from the jet ski and then to me at that point i Personally, I would rather toll, mm-hmm. um, you know, but it's definitely doable. I yeah. think um, some guys like Lucas Jumbo, uh, Kai, Albi, those guys have all the talent in the world. Yeah. They're pretty young. They're in the prime of their careers. They could definitely do it, but I, I, don't, I don't know if it's a safe thing to do.
0: Yeah. Dude, I remember Kai and I were talking about this uh, earlier, too, the Aaron Goldswell. Mm-hmm. when he caught that bomb like i got a, a bomb in the mor- or, or i got a solid one in the morning but laronda and i were talking to each other and we we're just watching guys like catch waves but not like be fast enough to go and i think this was 2016 and was like yeah like even back then like the boards like so much has like progressed since then but i'm like dude like guys were getting like completely mauled on like 40 50 foot waves and like they couldn't like go fast enough to get around it and stuff and even like Kona boy Oliveira like remember his bomb it he like had a step in it too and like ate shit and stuff and dude I I think that there's probably a limit but I think uh guys are always going to try and push that limit
1: yeah I mean I think to me uh there's a lot more to it than just the size yeah um the wind and conditions exactly yeah and then also the period uh you know if it if you if you're like a 21 24 period second there's just no way like you're just not fast enough uh and the wave coming
0: yeah that's what kai was saying that the period was so long that it's just like had that like warble is just too like
1: exactly so i think at that point uh it becomes almost too fast for you to pedal into it Mm -hmm. uh but you know i at least to me nothing is impossible if somebody wants to do it the ocean is there, uh, and Jaws is the most perfect wave in the planet. And then if you wanna do it, um, you know, it's out there.
0: Dude, what and through all of this are you launching from Malika? Uh true. Like, <laughs> like throughout the years and stuff, just launching from that sketchy uh
1: Yes. Um yeah, like I usually I hardly go um to the harbor just mm-hmm. because I leave Right on the top of Maliko, so yeah. for me it's super easy. Mm-hmm. And then uh, have that... you ever
0: almost like lost a ski or something over there? Oh yes, <laughs> it, that launching from Maliko is sketchy. Yes, Yeah. It's like four foot waves like breaking on the ramp, and you have to time it right. And I remember guys will like move the jet ski around, like flip it, like nose facing forward, uh-huh. just so like they can like they can go, go fast. right away yeah, yeah. instead of having to pull it off.
1: I know, and then you gotta be. Completely committed. You gotta just back your truck straight <laughs> to the water.
0: Dude, <laughs> and then... I think Tyler's dad lost his truck once, like a long time ago. Like it got like swept inside. I may be wrong. I gotta ask her on that or not. Mm-hmm. Sketchy.
1: Yeah, I had. Bunch of close calls. And then especially back in the day, I think he, in the end, you were a product for your environment, right? Mm-hmm. So I come from a generation where we're using uh, the two-stroke jet skis. So we couldn't really afford to go from the harbor because you wouldn't have oh, enough yeah. gas. Mm-hmm. So like my generation, unfortunately, you know, nowadays I'm actually the only one still going <laughs> at it. Most of my friends, they all kind of like moved on into you know better
0: things whatever dude how about let's talk about how you don't wear a pull vest like to this day and you're (laughs) probably one of the only guys because i remember when like even when i started paddling uh like i didn't wear a pull vest for those first couple years but once that came once i got my hands on one dude i did not take that thing off so how do you like still not wear a vest
1: Actually, to tell you the truth, last year, my wife... uh, (laughs) Maria made you. (laughs) Yeah, she actually made me. She's like, look, you're getting kind of older. I don't want to say anything, but, uh, you know, can you please, please um, buy a vest and just wear it? And then, to me, it took me so long, just because I felt comfortable Mm -hmm. uh, with what I have. You know, I I started using one of those... um, Vest uh, from Warmide that had mm-hmm. some uh, inflatable, but that thing doesn't dude, bring that, you up. Dude, that thing
0: does all. not fucking bring you up on a sixty-foot wave. Dude. No,
1: and then uh, my my vest is being like ten years old. I still wear the same one, <laughs> the lucky one, you know. And then uh, I think I'm superstitious that way, and uh, and I've been using the same thing for so many years. Yeah, and I uh, like for so long, all my friends and and Danilo and. And everyone was like, man, I'll buy you one. I'll give you one. And then uh, and then I actually had one for three, four years. And I never used it. Just because I felt like, okay, if I put this thing on, I'm going to wipe out. I'm going to get like a 2 wave hold down just because I, I have <laughs> it or I'm going to get knocked out. And then uh, so I kept like having this like weird thoughts. And I was like, you know what? I'm just not going to do it. And then uh, whenever I feel like I need it, I would use it, mm-hmm. and then um, finally last season, I um I actually got one, my quicksilver one, mm-hmm. and uh, I pulled like once just to to see what it uh, felt like, and that thing was amazing,
0: dude. How sick are those things?
1: Oh my god, bro. <laughs> it's
0: <laughs> it just crazy. You Thank up. you, Shane Dorian, for yeah. creating
1: that, sure and enough. um and and actually. Man, it worked amazing, and it brought me up right away, and then I was able to deflate it, went down uh, on the next wave, inflate it, and I was, like, just playing with it, and yeah. then uh, and I thought, okay, here we go. Now I'm really ready for Nazare oh, or shit. <laughs> um, for the next swell, so we'll see. Um, hopefully I'm not going to need it.
0: Yeah, hopefully <laughs> <Never>. not. <laughs> yeah. Um, you've had some pretty gnarly wipeouts and injuries out there.
1: Yes. Uh, you know, uh, it's kind of like, to me... Um, It's, it's not, uh, it's going to happen eventually, you know, everybody, all the good guys like Kai, Albie, Shane, everyone, it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. And then of course I had quite a a few serious ones. Um, I, once I broke my jaw, I, I was going on a right and then it was like a offshore uh, day And the wind kind of got me hanged up at the top, and I fell from the top, and I was tumbling inside of the barrel. And then somehow the board just went and uh, knocked across my face. And then I ended up breaking my jaw in two different places. Like, the doctor even said, he's like, look, I seen guys break the jaw in one place, but where it broke, I never, ever seen anything like it. And he was like, look, I can't believe you didn't get knocked out. Like, like. Like, and this there's... is when
0: you you didn't have the pull vest.
1: Yes. And then... <laughs> don't tell my wife that. And or, my, or my kids. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyways. Um, yeah. It, that one was gnarly. Um, I had another one where I, I broke a rib. That was pretty painful. And just over the years, I, I definitely paid my dues. But, yeah. you know, that's part of it. And to me, uh, of course, I don't... Um, like enjoy getting wipe out or mm-hmm. anything like that but i think it's part of big wave surfing and then i get drawn to sometimes wipe out like sometimes if i'm making every single wave i'm like okay when is it gonna be the next one yeah and i actually the
0: odds in your yeah, head. yeah
1: and then i actually like that feeling i like that feeling to be underwater like to me like it's so calming even though everybody's like getting stressed and i think that's why Uh, I did it well for so many years because that was something that I truly enjoyed being uh, underwater for so long and getting, like, rocked down (laughs) and then just getting pounded. So I think it's part of the uh, the whole experience of surfing big waves.
0: There's not that many people who can say they enjoy getting wiped out at Jaws. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Do you do, like, any specific training for Jaws or...? I know yes. you've been doing like some breath stuff. Lately. Yes,
1: um, I actually been doing all kinds of things over the years, and mm-hmm. then, uh, but I like over the last basically two years, I started working with this guy Rafael mm-hmm. RK training. Um, he's on Instagram. Big shout out to Rafael, he's the man, shout and um, yeah, he's um, he's amazing. He actually taught um, me how to uh, breathe proper, mm-hmm. and you know we do actually some exercising. Um, as well, and uh, but it definitely ha- has helped me at least my confidence, especially as I'm getting older. Uh, you start losing your confidence a bit, mm-hmm. and then that's when Rafael came in into my life, and then it's been helped me uh, keep that confidence, even though I'm getting old. I'm gonna be turning 46 in, in a couple of days, but uh, I'll be right there, yes, right <laughs> on. And uh, to me, I still like my goal it's you know if i could do it my goal is to be surfing jaws until i'm 60 but if i do it until i'm 50 at least get a bomb mm-hmm. uh you know paddling and a bomb towing that's my goal
0: well at this rate i think you'll definitely achieve that <laughs> <laughs> um i was gonna oh so you you know your surfing career big wave surfing career is stellar uh in its own right but I think what's amazing as well is your, uh, you know, your professional career as a restaurant manager and owner and, um, how you rose up to that level now, like now you have, you know, five, six restaurants, I think.
1: Yes. We're going to be six restaurants, hopefully in a couple months.
0: But you started out as what? A dishwasher prep?
1: Yes. I started out as a dishwasher and doing cleanup at night. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, I already had my family, they had business. Actually, my mom had a beach uh, shack back in the day. Okay. And then that's how she started. And then, you know, I come from real, real humble beginnings. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my parents had no money. There was times where we barely had any food to eat. Um, but they were... Uh, always believed in and worked super hard and share everything that they had. Mm-hmm. So... You know growing up i always seen that and um so um i actually got lucky over the years there was so many people uh in my life that actually helped me out mm-hmm. and then i ended up getting adopted by like two other different families and my, my life story is crazy like i would have to like spend like five <laughs> podcasts yeah. to be able to uh, tell the whole story but anyways so when i moved over here i needed a job um And then, uh, and I came with a friend of mine, Fabio, which is a, it's a Marine uh, guy, like Black Belt Jiu-Jitsu, the guy, it's like gnarly, that's like one of my heroes in life. And we moved together, he was a surf judge. So anyways, we started working at the fish market, and we always treated the fish market as our own. And we know, from the first day, um, I would, basically, I would clock out myself at like 9.30, 9.30, and then I'll be working until like 1, 2 in the morning just for free, just to try and make the place as best as could be, as clean as could be. And, uh, and then that paid huge dividends uh, as I move through the, the ladder super quickly. And then I went from a dishwasher to a cleanup to a prep cook to a cook to a manager. And within like four years, I would say, I became a partner. And you know, I have two amazing business business partners that uh, gave me the opportunity to become part owner uh, of the original fish market in Paia, and uh, and then from that point on, like right when I took over, I was like, okay, this is my chance to keep at my parents' ideas and beliefs, and I wanna, you know, share the the wealth sort of thing, and um, I introduced like. All kinds of different things from daily bonuses, from yearly bonuses. And then um, my first day, I actually went there as a young kid, uh, having like a lot older people that it was like being on the company a lot longer than me. And then I ended up like, you know what, Uh, from now on, we're going to change things. Um, You know, unfortunately, with with the fish market, with the type of business that we have, we can only... Be successful if you have the volume, mm-hmm. because fish is so expensive. Yeah. Like people see like a line out the door in all over restaurants, and they think we're making a lot of money, but actually, the truth we're not, mm-hmm. uh, because fish is so expensive. So I knew that the idea was to uh, get the volume up there, and you know, and then treat people how we wanted to be treated, mm-hmm. and you know, and uh, kind of like share the wealth, sort of thing. And I told my partners at that time, I was like, "Look, I want to raise everybody," Uh, and they're like, "What? You crazy?" Like the fish market was actually losing money uh, at that time. And then here comes this kid from Brazil (laughs) that doesn't know anything, (laughs) and then wanted to like give everybody raises and then introduce bonuses. And and I was like, "Okay, now this is my chance. Uh, If I get everybody believing." That we can do a better job and uh, treat the guests with uh, a smile and and provide the best experience they can have and then with the best uh, food they can have. So, I actually went to all the local fishermen that we didn't at that time and I kind of introduced myself, would bring them gifts and ask them to actually get the best uh, fish uh, reserved for us, no kind of thing. And then, uh, and then, at the same time, worked with everyone that was working with me. And then I told them, I said, look, believe me, if you guys trust me, uh, you guys are going to be the most well-paid restaurant employee on the state of Hawaii. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, if you guys work together, let's work as a team. Let's treat this as a, a family. Treat the restaurant like if it's your own. And let's get the best product possible. And then I also knew the Paia was getting to be such a hot little town, mm-hmm. and I seen the tourism start booming in Hawaii. Uh, this was about 2001 when I bought it, and then uh, and then things kind of evolved, and and then nowadays, fish market's a staple in Hawaii. We got yeah. three locations in Maui, uh, two locations on Oahu. And yeah, and then we got a sushi bar in Haiku called Nuka too, that it's a pretty cool place.
0: Yeah, um, I can definitely say that what you've done back in the day has paid dividends because I started out as a dishwasher um, actually at Nuka and then worked my way as a prep and then the Paiya fish market over here in Paiya. And then I moved to Oahu for school and I started working over there as a prep and then cook as well. Um, But one thing I've noticed is that the employees will like the employees are such hard workers and will do anything for you because of your management style and it's not like every day you see that especially like i worked at other places before um uh working at the one on wahoo uh, and a different restaurant stuff and it just wasn't the same feeling so what you did has definitely like the the employees, like, love you for it and will, like, go to the end of uh, the earth for you, I feel like, and just because of that management style that you have and because you're such a hard worker and because, I mean, there, I remember when COVID hit and stuff, um, we were on Oahu working, and then Magno, the the manager uh, in Waikiki, he was, like, showing us uh, the video or maybe a screenshot, and it was you working at the cashier. Yes. And it was you there working, like, like there's not that much like owners that would do that. They'd probably just try to like hustle someone else to go work rather than like going in themselves. And then the workers see that and like, Oh shit, okay. Dude, my boss is coming in here working, rolling up his sleeves. Okay, I'm gonna fucking work hard too then.
1: Yes. And then um up to today I'm I'm still like every time there's somebody doesn't show up or somebody have like a uh, needed a day off, I still go and dishwash, I still go and do cleanup. Like every Saturday, I go to Nuka and then I work cleaning the restaurant for four or five hours. I leave my family every Saturday to go over there. And then sometimes I'm by myself just cleaning on the ground like dude and i know that place gets dirty (laughs) (laughs) yeah and then i i I truly believe like to me um i call it the viking style right Uh, the vikings they used to have like the best uh fighter used to be leading the charge Mm -hmm. and then like to me i'm like the same i'm like you know what we're the vikings bro we're like we're here to survive (laughs) so if i'm the owner i should be on the forefront of the whole thing and I should set the example and yeah. you know if I have to dishwash cook a share, whatever needs to be done I'm gonna go ahead and do it and I know everybody else would follow the same yeah. footsteps and
0: by dirty I mean at the end of the night there'd be when I was a dishwasher there'd be like a fucking line of dishes and pots and share that like the cooks like burnt stuff with because that was like the style you know of, yes. like and I'd just be like scrubbing there and stuff but how did you like learn about this like your management style and stuff, did, you, did it just, like, come along as you went? Or was this something that, like, your mom did or your family did back in theirs?
1: Yeah. I, I, to me, I think I owe to my parents. Um, mm. They always had that same style. Of course, they... Uh, back then, they didn't have enough knowledge. They never went to school. They never really uh, had the opportunity to see the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I actually got lucky. You know, I'm, I'm super blessed. Like, I... Like when I look back where I came from, where my beginning, you know, uh, mm-hmm. I used to live basically on a shack on the beach. Uh, there was so many times that uh, growing up like at five, six years old that we had like nothing to eat. And, and all I had was my parents always with a positive attitude, uh, just giving their all, uh, working day and night and, and sharing everything that they have. And that's something cool about Brazilians in a way, you know, they they love sharing. And my parents took that above and beyond. So I thought about the same thing. And then, then, you know, over the years reading and learning from different people, I have so many people that I actually learned from over the years Mm -hmm. and I put it all together. And, you know, I have... An amazing business partner too, Moonstar, she taught me so much. Um, Lily Coulahan and all the people that I, I had the pleasure to work with, mm-hmm. they always contributed in a way for me to be who I am today.
0: I wanted to ask you also about how the new restrictions are going. Um, I know that, you know, I feel like every week there's something new, whether they close down or open up, like how has like the pandemic and stuff been affecting the restaurant or the <sighs> restaurants?
1: Yeah, it's been super challenging. Definitely, um, over the last two years, been pretty much the hardest years of my life. At least working mm-hmm. uh, on the Russian business, and you know, it's very challenging. Um, like you said, you know, every seems like every week they come up with something different. Mm-hmm. And then lately, over here, why they they are requiring a passport vacina- vaccination to get in, in some of the restaurants and. Uh, you know, and, and it's been very challenging because there's a lot of people that uh, they don't want to get vaccinated or they even uh, if they have the mentality that if you uh, not opposing the government, you actually on the side of the government. Mm-hmm. And then we're just trying to survive. And, and then for me, uh, the hardest thing that I ever done was to have to fire people that uh, worked super hard for me and having to let them go. Like to me, it just killed me inside and and I'm still recovering from that. Because they
0: didn't get the vaccine?
1: No, that was before when business, Mm -hmm. it was non-existent, Mm. you know. So uh, there was a lot of people that actually wanted shifts and they didn't want to go through the unemployment uh, thing. And then they wanted to work and I just didn't have shifts. I had to close the Lahaina location for about a month. And Lahaina was uh, probably the busiest location we have, and uh, and then like some guys that worked, you know, for the past five years for you that hard, and then you're telling them that you're gonna close the restaurant down, and uh, they're gonna have to look for another way to survive and put food on the table for for them and their families. That just killed me on the inside. Mm-hmm. And then um, and then Paia, um, I was getting ready to do a, a remodel. So, and because of all the bureaucracy of getting the permits and dealing with that, so I actually kept it for takeout only for many months. And then I had to close that down uh, to do the remodel, but it was super challenging at that time. Nobody wanted to work. Everybody was afraid. Mm -hmm. Um, So it took me a lot longer than what I expected. And then when I reopened, it was just not enough business to keep everybody employed, and then, uh, but anyways, luckily business came back uh, over the season, um, the winter, and then this summer it was probably one of the busiest years that we had. Uh, but also was the most challenging because you couldn't find any products, you couldn't get any. Uh, the market went so up, like fish, like right now it's unbelievable. Like for you to get, like uh, I'm paying basically. Like $24, $25 a pound for ahi. Holy shit. Yes. That's and then, fucking
0: expensive.
1: Yeah. By the time I cut the bloodline, take the skin, uh, I can barely make two sandwiches. But I'm selling the sandwiches at $11. Yeah, have
0: so, the prices changed at all or no? I mean,
1: unfortunately, I'm super against it. I remember it. you yes. super against <laughs> raising I'm, prices. <laughs> I'm super against it. Like, to me, uh, the whole goal... For the fish market, it was to uh, be able to provide really good food, uh, very affordable, where anyone, you know, no matter if you're getting $10 an hour or if you were a super rich guy, you could still go to the fish market and have a, a, a like a really good meal. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I've been super against it. We haven't raised our prices in like seven years, eight years, but at, at some point uh if we don't raise our prices uh we're not gonna make it as a company and i can't help the people that are going on the trenches for me so finally my partner convinced me to (laughs) to raise prices and then we're gonna be raising prices within the next couple months
0: dude how do you manage all of this how do you go like surfing because i know you do surf trips here and there how do you like go surf jaws how do you manage like six or five restaurants still have time for your family like how how do you do all that
1: i mean uh to me i think the secret is being on the moment Mm -hmm. you know like i tell my partner all the time like if i'm working i work until i'm dead like i'm giving 110 percent when i'm at the restaurant the moment that i leave if i'm surfing I'm giving 110%. Like, people that actually surf with me, they're like, man, I can't believe you surf that hard. Like, (laughs) if you have the time, like, I would spend, like, eight hours surfing straight without food, without anything. And then when I'm with my family, I give them 110% as well. So I think uh, the secret for me, personally, is just stay on the moment. Don't think about anything else. Just give you all. Like, if you're going to be with someone, just give them the attention that they deserve and that they need and um and then just trying to balance everything it's been super challenging but you know uh, i feel like i
0: i I think i feel like you do a pretty good job yes (laughs) (laughs) and uh i that was some uh advice you gave me the same advice a few years ago when uh yeah i was like working two jobs and going to school full-time i remember like asking you that same question i'm like dude how the fuck do you do it like you're way busier than me and I feel like I'm drowning. And I remember you telling me about just like, you know, being in the moment, if you're doing, if you're working in your school or whatever, you just do a hundred percent And that's helped out a lot. Yeah, my life.
1: yeah.
0: Well, Yuri, this has been an awesome podcast. Um, I love talking to you every time that we could literally go on all night, but I want to get you back to your family because you've been working all day. Um, where can people find you on social media?
1: Um, yes, they can find me on Instagram. Why you surf. um, facebook yuri
0: soledad Mm
1: -hmm. and um and
0: paia fish market has got an instagram
1: yeah paia fish market does an instagram Nuka does have an instagram and um yeah paia fish market waikiki uh, have an instagram as well and um yeah hopefully you guys will give us a follow and and check it out
0: perfect well thank you everyone thank you yuri have a good night thank you appreciate you guys aloha